Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Happy October 1st! I know, I resisted it. Well, people will hear this on October 2nd, but I resisted it. I was like, it's still March. That's not true. But there's leaves falling outside here in upstate New York. There's cold weather. I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. It's official. I'm wearing a sweatshirt, so that's even yeah, more guys. legit. I know it's so weird, but it, it's good. I'll embrace it. I'll take it. I like fall. I'm sad September's over. It's like my favorite month, but whatever. Yeah, it just went so darn fast. We're we're here. The end of September was great because you know what happened at the end of September? Type weekend. It did. It was the global online free conference that aired last weekend, put together by some amazing people in the type world. One of our friends, Daniel Nisbet, also helped with that. So um, if you want to hear some behind the scenes, we have an interview with him. Um, But now that all the talks have been put out into the world, they're actually going to be here forever on YouTube. Um, Eventually, they're going to be uploaded, I think, as individual videos. But for now, they have each day recorded in a really long YouTube video. And so we decided that we were so moved by some of the Type Weekend stuff last weekend, we wanted to dedicate the newsletter to some of our highlights. And, you know, they include some educational videos by about typography, some more technical videos about typography, the future of type and where that might lead. And I think there's going to be some really fascinating stuff. And some perspectives from just all over the world. I know you were talking about that, about how interesting it was to watch people from areas of the world that we don't get to hear about a lot, just because a lot of the famous type people are in the big American cities. And it was really cool to get to hear from people from South America, from Indonesia, from all over the place. Totally. And like learning about scripts from different countries as well and how that gets developed. You know, I'm talking about just like a handful of videos today, but really go check them all out. It was really hard to narrow down my favorites. I didn't even watch them all. Like there's over 70 talks. There will be something you're going to be interested in. Um, Everything's available on the Type Weekend YouTube channel. But like Micah said, just opening my mind. I know um, Ana Michelle was a type designer in Bolivia. And Mm. Uh, I'll I follow be her quite on Twitter. Great. She's amazing. Yeah, she's so talented. And she talked about how she learned typography from start to finish. And so she actually talked about how she flew to Paris to take a type program and then brought her knowledge back to Bolivia and is continuing to try to improve type education in her country, which is just amazing. And to be quite frank, like I don't know that much about Bolivia. So she had some nice slides about you know what the native geography is like and stuff like that. And so more and more, I'm hearing stories of people trying to grow a richer typographic field in their country. And it's really empowering. Shoot, that just made me realize of like the similarities. I've never thought about it. This is off the top of my brain. The similarities between the culinary arts and typography. Like, have you ever watched Chef's Table? Yes. There's so many stories of like these underdog, rebel, really talented, naturally artists with food right? Who then like go to one of the famous places to study, you know, Western history of how to do it and then bring that back and like merge it with the culture that they're from. We need to make a chef's table about typography. 
We do have a video in the newsletter that we're always going to talk about today that, you know, connects food and typographic systems for all the food lovers. Shoot, that was accidentally on point. I know it was. And then one other uh, type designer that I really wanted to point out, you know, before we get into this, Tapi Wanashi Sebastian Garikai, which I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sure I butchered it. He is a designer that's practicing in Zimbabwe and for a really long time, his language was only written out in Latin. It didn't have its own written letter forms that, you know, were actually more accurate to how his African language sounded. Until about the past 20, 30 years, there was someone that developed a written language for his language rather than it being written in Latin, which doesn't always properly reflect the sounds of the language. And he talks about creating a typeface for that. And like, how special is that to, you know, create identity? Because I think the Latin letter forms kind of strip other cultures of their identity with the forms that, you know, just using and recycling what existed in, you know, Europe, rather than creating their own forms that actually form an identity. So I just, my perspective on type design and typography really shifted after this conference so cool so cool so we're not gonna talk too long about this i spoke it (laughs) our first one our first one is very important to us because this was olivia's darn talk and uh, you know the reaction that i saw from everybody the conference organizers and the people in the chat room everybody loved this talk you did a great job olivia thank you micah (laughs) (laughs) how was what it was about so it was pretty much a greatest hit from nerd alerts basically so if you have listened to our podcast before you know we have a special segment called nerd alert typically for the first few months our nerd alerts was really obscure history topics that i went into researching about type and design history and so i really thought it'd be great to share these stories with a larger audience they are off the beaten path but still relevant to our culture today i make it fun i make it exciting and talk about all these things that i think we take for granted and so you know one of those being black letter in today's culture that doesn't really have much you know written history about it or is even like a common story in design history um, and that's also because the black letter we see in today's culture came from outlier groups, came from subcultures. So like what happens when we forget about those subcultures when we're doing a retelling of graphic design history? We're actually marginalizing some groups and discontinuing their story unless we keep it alive. So something like that was a topic I dived into. I dived into the psychological aspects of skeuomorphism that isn't often brought up. You know, we talk about Arabic versus Roman numerals, what happens when that whole history that's not European doesn't get told. Most people don't know what Arabic numerals are in the United States by name. So some really, some important topics I was excited to share. I'm very happy to, you know, share the knowledge with my type nerds. And it was a nice way to relive some of our great moments for me. Oh, thank you. I do, you know, I know that I had sort of pushed you after a little while to be like, hey, let's talk about a few practical topics too. And we like got into freelance pricing and like licensing and stuff like that, which is where we've been going with it. I would still like to bring some of these nerdy history things back. So I'm, I'm hoping that in the next few weeks, we can schedule a good variety where you get to research some other random historical I, topic and teach us stuff. I agree. I think we should bring it back. I have to go digging in my brain to see it, what ignites a fire. Cause I think all of these really did ignite a fire for me and open my perspective. So 
Up next is Type Feast. This was by Krista Reeder and Ryan Collier. They're both designers at Gensler, which I know is a creative agency. They're operating out of Seattle, um, but they had some really interesting projects that they shared with us in their talk. It was more kind of a series of case studies of high profile projects they did that were related to food, which like was really easy to love. (laughs) So the first project that they talked about was the Whole Foods Gowanus location, which if you don't know about Gowanus, it's a neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York that used to be really industrial. I used to live there. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It's like a hidden section of Brooklyn, I feel that like, I guess it's hipster is how you describe it, because like only a small chunk of people who live there seem to know about it, but yeah it's very beautiful yeah it it is it is micah (laughs) so they were actually talking about this talk how the typography of the whole foods in gowanus was inspired by the old industrial buildings that existed around it and existed previous to this whole foods so it talks about how to place typography for food in a context for that context it was architecture they also talk about creating a type system for a market in korea a food market in Korea, and also taking cues from existing food culture typography to place it into this food market. So they have this whole street food section, and it's really lively, and they base it off of the street food um, in Korea and what that architecture looks like in those back alleys. But at the same time, they make the system work for street food. They make the system work for packaged goods. What does packaged uh, green beans look like, and how can that you know still have a consistent system? So you know they talk about. Uh, obviously more maybe corporate projects that relate to food. But at the same time, at the end, they show this personal project that I really love. They love the textures of food and the color and all these, you know, very expressive attributes of food. And then they say there's so much similarity with type. And so their um, personal project is taking images of food that are close up, that have a bunch of texture, that really like show it in its natural habitat and find matching typefaces. It's really lovely to see the connection between those two and just really stunning graphics come out of it. I don't know why this was surprising to me, but the the handful of talks that I could tune into and like this one is a great example if you watch this. I was, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was still surprised at like, wow, the design of these presentations is so much better than every other presentation I've seen on the internet. Yeah. I mean, especially this one, Type Beast one, I have to say, was very well designed. It was really, it, they had a whole conceptual organization to it. Before they talked about their pieces, they said, okay, so we have like a menu for today. We're offering an amuse bouche. Then we have the main course. And this last personal project was labeled Aminardis, which I've never heard that word before. It's like a small dessert served at the end of a meal, but I'm going to start using that. And it's a French word. It's spelled M-I-G-N-A-R-D-I-S-E. Definitely check that one out. Uh, It'll be fun. It'll be interesting. I think it's a good one for people that aren't so in the nitty gritty of type design, which some of the type weekend talks were. It was kind of an overview of type and graphic design in a really digestible way. So big fan of that one. Oh, our next one. Also a big fan. Monogram Design 101 (laughs) by Matai Herzberg. 
He, I believe, is a Dutch designer in New Orleans, and he's a type designer and a graphic designer, but he specializes in monogram design, which is just such like an old school sort of thing. So I was so fascinated. I feel like monograms would do not come naturally to me at all. So (laughs) I was curious what he had to say. First thing he told us was the difference between a monogram and a cipher which I didn't even know what a cipher was. It almost looks like a monogram, but a monogram has to have all merged shapes. They all have to be fused together. It has to be one solid logo, basically, or monogram. There can't be any parts that could fly away if you took one piece away. A cipher is more like interlocked, and there's several elements that make it up, even if it looks like a monogram. Kind of hard to describe in audio, but that's why you have to check this out. So I was super excited to learn that. But he talks about how he approaches monograms in like a really accessible way, you know, starting with pen and paper, starting at looking at the architecture around him in New Orleans. There's so many monograms hidden in gates. I love that about that town. I mean, there's such beautiful architecture inspiration. And he talks about uh, his rules that he implements um, when he designs monograms and just ways that they can be successful. And so you're like, okay, great. This is an awesome tutorial. And then he shows his monograms and they're mind blowing. Can't handle this. So good. And an interesting perspective he had about a monogram is that you can always mix styles, which is kind of an amazing thing. You don't have, you can do a black letter A with a Tuscan Q. That actually allows more options for thinking about how the shapes can work together. Because maybe a black letter A works better for you in a scenario rather than a big scripty A or vice versa. Mm. Such good perspective. He's really talented. I'm definitely following his work. Good stuff. The next one, also love this one. It's by Christian Vargas. I was curious Vargas. about this. I couldn't tune into this. I'm sorry. No, no, please tell me. I, I got excited because uh, so it, it was labeled how to domesticate a wild typeface. And I saw that on the schedule and I was like, what the heck does that mean? And I, I didn't, I wasn't able to tune into it. So I'm really curious about your takeaways. Just fascinating, Micah. I love this one. So Christian Vargas designed the typeface Salvaje, which I think has been like pretty popular in recent years. So you might recognize it once you see it. It's a gorgeous reverse contrast typeface. He did a display and a text version. The display version is definitely the more popular one. I kind of see everywhere, but First of all, it's a beautifully designed presentation. Oh my goodness. Um, so interesting. So he talks about his whole process of designing this typeface. He's, he was a brand graphic designer for, I think, nearly a decade. And then he decided to go to The Hague to study at the Royal Academy of Art, where they have a type design program. Um, and so this was actually his student project while he was there and his final project. And so he really wanted to make sure that this was a different take on type design. So for inspiration for this project, he was inspired by a blog post about the birds of paradise. Do you know the birds of paradise? I don't. I have heard of that term, but I i don't know what it is, to be honest. So I thought it was the plant, which I also know is a thing. But the oh. birds of paradise are birds from a specific region. And you guys have to see these illustrations. They have crazy ornate pl- plumage. Is that the right word? Yeah. And so fascinating. They're they look they're all very different. They're all very lively. Um, and they just have beautiful feathers that kind of surround them. And they all look they're different so, from different. It's so angles. wild it looks fake. I mean, I know yeah. these are illustrations that we're looking at, but illustrations of real birds. Yeah. And that's it's incredible. Insane. Like the universe 
I don't even, okay, I'm not going to get that deep, but. Yeah, it looks like they're from a region of Indonesia and like Papua New, New Guinea. Yeah. I now, uh, that, now that I'm seeing this, I have definitely heard of this in just random research of, you know, deep dive rabbit hole on the internet. Yeah. Christian was super inspired by these and he translated all of this ornamentation from the birds into ornamentation on typography in this way that I've never quite seen before. These really fluid, loud letter form shapes that are so beautiful to look at. Each one of them I is now a piece understand. Of art. That's um, insane. He does this wonderful comparison showing the letter form design next to a bird it was inspired by. And it just like it makes so much sense, even though you wouldn't immediately think it would. Right. Like my brain would never be able to come up with a thing like this, but I totally see it now. Right. Ooh, this, is, this is a, you got to watch this talk yeah. out there, humans. This is really cool. And just like the beautiful curves of the birds get translated so well to the curves of these letter forms. And it's incredible that he shows also bird, the birds look different at different angles. So sometimes they look really straightforward. And then, you know, when they bird turns to their side, they look quite different. Because, you know, he had to develop a text version of the display version. So there was two versions of this typeface, one for display, one for text. And, you know, he thinks about the times when the birds look very straightforward as maybe inspiration for the text. And then when they like show their feathers, it's like inspiration for the display. That's wild. This guy's on a different level. Yeah, it was a it was such a good talk. It was so good. Just like really suggest you checking it out. It will blow your mind and like make you want to create a typeface inspired by nature. There was such a variety at Type Weekend. And I'm not even going into the really nitty-gritty type design talks, which there was a lot of those as well for like our true type design nerds. These are a little bit more digestible for a broader audience, which is kind of why I chose them. Okay. The next talk, I don't even know if I have that much to say about this, but I do have to say, you guys have to watch this. So it was by Underwear. I love, I love their name. But <laughs> um, you know them before this talk, right? Yes, yes. I feel like they're a very well-known calligraphic handwritten type foundry is what I feel like they're most known for. I think we actually yeah. talked to them once upon a time in the very beginning of the league when we were trying to like crowdfund fonts or something and we were like yeah. we would love to work with you they have some great work and i'm glad you mentioned that you kind of automatically think of them as someone that knows calligraphy and type and can relate those two together because that's kind of what this talk was about so they're developing this new technology called grammatography it's a, it's a mouthful <laughs> And so I can't even tell you how this works exactly because it was a little bit over my head. But I can tell you the fundamental. I still think it's worth watching, even though it's a little bit, you know, uh, very future thinking. They talk about how with writing text, we started with handwriting and calligraphy. And that was how we communicated penmanship. Sure. Next came the QWERTY keyboard with the typewriters. And that was another way to write text. But underwear is asking, is there a future for writing text that is more efficient. Like the QWERTY keyboard was more efficient than writing, but mm-hmm. like we've had that and have just taken that for granted for years and decades. Has anyone thought about a way to take us into the future? So they have this tool that they've created where it is kind of like a virtual joystick. This is going to sound crazy. Uh... 
And you can manipulate this joystick to write letters. And it just writes letters more in real time than you can with your QWERTY keyboard. I totally believe there would be a learning curve for using this. But I can't Adding tell you I need no- as a dimension to typography. Yeah. So- I definitely turn space. This... Oh, what the yes. heck? Sorry, yeah. I keep interrupting you because I'm looking at it and I have no idea what I'm looking at. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to understand. It's still, I think, something that you would have to use the tool to really understand how it works. But it's, it's just thinking about the future of letter writing and thinking that one day we probably will have a different mode of expression besides writing things or using a keyboard. And what is that going to be? This is very neat to watch. It's kind of a mix between writing and and not, it's a mix between writing and like new technologies. It's like the elimination of the QWERTY keyboard. This is crazy. I realize I'm just on audio, just saying how weird this looks, but that's where I got to go hear what they're saying. Yeah, it was really mind blowing. There was a lot of mind blown emojis in the Q&A talk <laughs> that was happening. <laughs> So crazy. So definitely check that out. It's just going to really open your mind into everything you've taken for granted and how it's being totally dismantled and put together in new ways by underwear. Crazy. Next talk. Love this one. Definitely one of my favorites. It was by Kriti Monga, Teaching a Love for Type. Kriti is a designer, a letterer, an educator. (laughs) Sounds like someone I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Anyway, so I naturally, obviously really liked her. She has a really cool tattoo on her arm, too, of some sort of (laughs) text being written. Someone has a designer crush. I might have a designer crush on her. So she talks about how she's been rethinking teaching type design in the classroom. I was already, you know, totally intrigued by this talk when she said that during her classes, her icebreaker is having a student hand letter really quickly like in a matter of minutes a name tag for their neighbor in the classroom as like a way to get to know them Mm -hmm. so like already uh, totally my style (laughs) love that but she uses calligraphy tools to start these students out in learning typography which is not typically used in typography classes but she doesn't expect them to create calligraphy she wants them to actually use the tools to understand form and space to start understanding how letters get created before you know they're just like brought into bezier curves and stuff like that so already i'm intrigued because i love the relation of actually learning the basics of letter form creation before typography but then what really blew my mind is how she uses physical objects to create typography to open students' minds to type and to get a new perspective. So one of the first things she does with her students is they go out into the street in India with mops and they use water and they create letter forms using mops, using their whole body. They're drawing letter forms um, and creating typography. And, you know, they're cleaning the sidewalk for wherever they are. And they're also making something that's not permanent, but can still be used as a learning tool. This was mind-blowing. Wow. This is beautiful. Something I never would have thought about. Um, And so I think she kind of started there with her students, which I just think is just incredibly poetic. And then... 
After this project, they take on a bunch of other physical installations in their community that are all temporary. So that could also be drawing in sand. They've also done modular typography. Well, maybe like take a bunch of small candles and together they'll form a little ampersand with them and, Mm. you know, leave it in a space temporarily. They put leaves and kind of woven it through fences to create letter forms um, that will just disappear. It's incredibly poetic. Nothing like I've ever seen before. I especially love the letter forms that they made with colored tape, colored painter's tape. Like, just so smart and such a new way to be thinking about type that really inspired me. This is so beautiful. I mean, I realize part of the point is that it is temporary and that you can do it again with a new idea and and all that. But uh, the non-artist side of me, my heart breaks to know that these things disappear. Yeah. I loved her tape installation. Like, I want to do a tape installation in my home now. You guys have to check this out. It's so cool. Do it in your hallway Um, outside of your apartment. Yes. So I think you guys will be really inspired. Um, I was inspired as an educator and as a letterer and a designer. But I think if you're any of those three, you will be inspired or just like like looking at nice typography. I feel like the physical installation side of typography is overtaken by Sagmeister. And he makes it this like very expensive installation that's Mm -hmm. like seems really unapproachable and i think she kind of takes it into a different direction which i really appreciate that's a good juxtaposition there yeah our last one that we're going to talk about is from my friend sorry i know i'm biased but it was a good talk um (laughs) louisa baeda she is a type designer and a branding designer she has like an incredible design portfolio full of beautiful type work i know she's i think worked at dalton mog and she dissects a topic that we take for granted and that's what vocabulary we use to describe type and how it differs from type designers and branding designers and how that like often leads to misunderstandings i think she's played the role of both which is pretty interesting and she talks about all the ways that type is described depending on who you are. So type designers use very technical terms, whether that be shoulders, counters, talk a lot about the actual technical design of it, while branding designers use more expressive terms like, oh, I want this to be academic or friendly or tasty. And I can definitely see there's a struggle of trying to connect, but she talks about different strategies that type designers and branding designers can use to make sure that they can get on the same page. So talking about how branding designers maybe should be learning type anatomy and they should be learning the jargon so that they can more easily communicate. And then, you know, type designers really have an impetus to be empathetic and to understand where the branding designers are coming from and to not get frustrated. She also talks about this whole separate issue of marketing language where, you know, sometimes marketing language will over-rationalize some of the type design decisions. I remember in Netflix Sans, I remember when that came out, the marketing designers were like, oh, the way that this T is angled is reminiscent of CinemaScope typography. Even though that doesn't immediately come through even as someone that loves type, like I don't think about that. Like it's okay to have things in the type that don't have to relate to your marketing language, but the marketers typically like to do this over-rationalization, which is something that I found pretty interesting. That is a great point. And something that uh, I think we have teased about in the past plenty on this podcast. Yeah, for sure. I think that this was also like an overarching favorite. I know in the recaps, they really love this one. I didn't do it justice by um, my description, but she... It approaches it really easily and in a really accessible way that I think our audience will really enjoy. 
That makes sense. I think in general, the terminology is easy to approach if you're trying to get into one way or the other. Like if you're starting with trying to learn type design, like learning the technical anatomy is almost always a great place to start that I think a lot of people are like excited to jump into. And same with if you're just starting to get into more visual design, that's immediately a thing that everybody can latch onto is how to describe the emotionality behind a particular design. And I certainly have not heard enough people say, hey, actually, both are really important. So let's learn both yeah. so that we can make a bridge between them. For sure. I think she does it in this really elegant, concise way. So definitely had to share that. How also, great. before we wrap this up, I do want to say there is like just so many talks that I didn't include that I loved. And like, you guys really need to check out the whole wealth of things. Karen Chang was someone that uh, talk who I have used her book as a Bible for years on how to learn type design. And I definitely want to have her on the podcast. Noemi Stoffer talked about you know, growing your newsletter and that being an outlet for personal promotion, which all designers hate talking about, but need <laughs> to do. Kual Oberoi was a designer from um, India who talks about freelance projects and how to best do pricing for them. Jennifer Wagner did a great talk about business and type design and how the two can relate and how to learn from your um, data and your metrics and what type that you sell. Uh, just so many other ones that we didn't have time to talk about. So you, you got to check it out. This is so, so great. Hey, it's awesome that Type Weekend is making all of these available. And even if at the moment it's a little bit hard to parse, that's okay. I am grateful that you had the chance to go through and pick out some of these favorites for the rest of us to appreciate. Definitely Thanks, a lot Olivia. to take in. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I I hope it helps people kind of discern all of these talks. It's a, it's a little bit overwhelming and I still haven't seen them all, but hopefully this can help you pick and choose. Yeah, this is great. This is awesome. All right, Micah. Great time as always. And next week, we'll be back with our normal sort of here's some cool tutorials and articles and fonts to look at and an interesting nerd alert that we haven't even totally decided yet. So tune in next week for yes. uh, even more great stuff. And as always, if you have any suggestions, if there's like any talks you particularly loved or something and want to share, our email, our Twitter, our Instagram, all open. We love hearing from everybody. So absolutely. Thank you to the organizers of Type Weekend and the speakers of Type Weekend, especially you, Olivia, who did a great job in all things. Thank you. So we'll see all you wonderful type nerds next week. <laughs> <laughs>